Welcome to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour Podcast. Now, here's your host, Andrew Kelly. G'day and welcome to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour. And today we're joined by the Bill Belichick, Vince Lombardi of Newport Rugby, Coach Mike Trainer. How are you, Mike? Very well, thanks, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And so we know where you fit in the world and the 40-year history of Newport Rugby. What's your formal association with Newport Rugby? When were you coaching? Well, it goes back to about 1995. That was basically, I, I had just left Boston Rugby and uh, living in North Kingstown. It was convenient. I started coming over and watching some of the matches and everything. And you and I got speaking together. Yes. And uh, you invited me to come over for a few trainings and that's how it happened. And so how long did you coach for? Uh, I've coached for almost 40 years. But in Newport Rugby? Uh, so, well, I had two stints in Newport mm-hmm. Rugby, starting in 1995 to about 2000. And then uh, in maybe 2004 or five after that, uh, I was invited to come back again and uh, stayed for about three or four years and also saw two cents. Excellent. That's a good sign when you're yeah. invited back. <laughs> and so that's the Newport Association. Go back to rugby. What was your first involvement with rugby, whatever, playing days or other? Well, I started back in 19... 19- Let's see, 1970, I believe. I was working at Hospital Trust Bank, and one of the fellows that uh, came in and I was training had, was, was a rugby player, Bill Jennings. And Bill, we, we used to play touch football on Saturdays, and Bill invited me to come down and train with Providence Rugby, which I did. Uh, enjoyed it, made a lot of friends, had a wonderful time playing. I just wish I'd started earlier, because when I finally found out I could play this game, I was too old. Yeah. <laughs> and so what positions? I played mostly in the centers. I probably, I played some nine, some ten. Probably if, if my career was starting again, I would probably stay at nine because they fit my athletic ability. And how long did you play for, do you think? I played for about ten years. Okay. So encounters with Newport, given they started in 1980? I don't know. We, we, we used to have a, a midweek game with Newport, usually on a Thursday night. And a lot of times we'd be down here and uh, at that uh, lighted park where they play football, right behind the Tennis Hall of Fame. Yes, Topa Field. Topa Field, yes. And uh, I, I'll never forget this because it's a funny story. We're playing, I was playing scrum at the time, and uh, I was playing against uh, uh, one of the Kerwin brothers, and he was the other scrum man now. So I bent down, put the ball into the scrum, and he elbowed me square in the nose, and he hit me really good. And it just that sounds like a Jay Kerwin to me. Gushing out. They're excellent. So for, uh, in those days, that, those things happen. So fair enough. So every time he went to put the ball in, I stomped on his foot. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> every time. So I'm bleeding like this, and he's hobbling around. On his <laughs> and after the game, we had a funny laugh about the whole thing. It was great. Excellent. So what do you remember of Newport Rugby in those days, and any of the characters other than the Kerwins? Uh, I remember the Beans. Mm. I remember they had a, they had one of them had purchased a bar. Uh, down further down the street on same street from uh, from the hall and I used to have used to go in there after the after the matches and kind of a wild time uh, i really didn't know a lot of guys in at newport at that point uh, i got to know some of the other guys because some of the ones from providence came down here and played with newport mm-hmm. like jerry marzelli you know, jerry's a good friend of mine some of the other guys so, so there was always a little bit of a, a uh, knowledge of who you were and who you weren't, but there wasn't a great friendship between us. And when did you dip your toe into coaching? It started uh, started right after I I, just, I decided that I just couldn't play any longer because the injuries that I was getting. I never had a lot of injuries in the first, but I started to get them as I got a little older, and I decided that I didn't want to leave the game. I went. I was invited by Jay Fluke, who was the New England uh, Union coach, to coach the under 23s, New England under 23s. So I did that for a year, and that was kind of fun actually. 
I enjoyed that. I got you know, a bunch of kids from uh, all over New England, from Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. And we, we did quite well. And after that, I, my first actual job, because a job, I was ne- never paid anything, but it was where it was, was Providence College. And again, we did pretty well over there. I was there for about two years. Then Providence opened up and uh, they asked me to come over there. And so I did. And I was there for three years, I believe. And we did pretty well. We got the finals and win the tournament a couple of times. And uh, then I was I was asked by Boston to, if I was might be interested in coming up there. And I was, to be frankly, because obviously it was a progressive move. Boston at that time was one of the top five teams in the country. And after after going through that, I went up there. And, and what I found up there was completely different than what I'd seen up to that point. How so? Well, up to that point, I was always going by my philosophy. What, what I was doing is we, we would follow this this route and that route, and then I would sort of make the players into what I wanted them and how it. And it was quite easy at Providence College because they were very young. Even at uh, Providence Rugby at that point, the team was growing older, so I was basically coaching the younger players. So they were just following it into what I wanted them to do. When I got to Boston, it was a completely different situation because they were older, they were structured, they were winning. And when I went in and I analyzed the whole situation. I saw that I just can't come in here and change everything. So when I went in and I started to manage it, I started to fit in some of the things that I wanted to do with the things that they were already doing. And I learned a lot from just from that team itself. That probably helped me more in coaching than maybe anything I've ever done by just learning to adapt to the team. And I can speak firsthand in completely agreeing to that. The way that you came into Newport, you didn't change, you you enhanced, you you, uh, worked on areas that needed help, but areas that were working well, you left alone and enabled them to, to flourish. And so it, it, we became a better team because of that. It wasn't throw out everything you know and we're going to go down this right. path. Yeah, that's really what Boston taught. And I, I, it served me well over the years. Talking about Newport now, that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, so you were a coach at Boston. Yes. And we would play each other occasionally. Yes. And we would get thumped uh, because you were at the, uh, the upper echelons of Division One. We were probably middle of Division Two. What are your memories of Newport as an opposition coach? I'm... We basically coached, played Newport as we were getting older and deteriorating a little bit in Boston. And uh, Newport, you could see, was coming in with these young, big, strong athletes. And what I always saw was athletic ability, but not a lot of sense in how to play to play the game. Now we we did well because our guys were experienced, and uh, you know we we could get by just like just like what what happened when we used to play those touring teams. We'd fight like hell with them for three quarters of the game and lose by 20, 30 points at the end because they just uh, had more experience and more uh, individual skills. And that's sort of what I, what I saw with Newport also. You come in, what was your first memory of, of like, okay, what do I do now? Um, you've talked about the philosophy at Boston in terms of working with what you've got. What were your first steps? Well, as I mentioned before, I think when it came to Newport, what I saw was all these wonderful athletes and how much fun they had. One of the things about Newport is that guys knew each other and they'd known each other for 10, 15 years and you know, they would play wonderful together and then they'd also fight like hell <laughs> together. So, I mean, it was, it was a dichotomy. That one would be, one day they'd be really happy and fun. Another day they'd want to punch everybody out. But it was kind of fun. And what I saw was because of this athletic ability and this, uh, really what they needed was skills. And I think you and I had this conversation back also. We, we developed some drills to enhance those skills, like that one from uh, Barry Honan. Exactly. Um, that that was one of the, most, the best drills we ever had because it combined uh, uh, skills with activity and function, and it did it on a time on a time basis. You, there 
was no lapse in between. So you just get followed through. So it worked very well for us. Our thought process, whether you're a prop or a wing during practice was we want everyone to touch the ball as many times as possible, not just props. You go over there and all the backs, you do the ball handling. Everyone needed to be skilled. And you saw that on the game and a game where we were free flowing, we were fast at times, a lot of strategy, but that worked for us. See, that was one of the major differences between Newport and Boston. That strategy would never work in Boston. Never would have because, I mean, they were just so, we were so good at what we did that we just basically were, were third of the field, third of the field, and third of the field. Props and locks here, centers and back row here, outside backs over there. And that's where we stayed, and that's where, where they played their, their game. Uh, but it wasn't like that here. It was more fun because, as you mentioned, it could be more free flowing. And uh, the skills, the skills of the game was one of the things I was impressed with. The Newport guys, they adapted so well to them. And I mean, it just sort of became easy for them. And you were the first, I would argue, formal coach that came in with that structure. While it was great on a weekend to be free-flowing, the, the refinement of those skills took us to that next level. You talked about some of the athletes. Tell me about a few of them that, that are memorable. Oh, when you talk about Newport and you talk about athletes, you have to talk about characters also. Because the athletes and the characters were one of the same. And it was across the board. You, uh, you just couldn't, it just wasn't one who everybody. Oh, some ones that come to my mind is Mike Cardette, Jerry and Mike. If Mike had applied himself to being a rugby player or, or even an NFL player, he had that kind of athletic ability. I mean, he, he, was, he could do everything. Then you had uh, guys like uh, like Mark and Chris, Mark Manchester and Chris Gray. I mean, they were like Salt Peter, Salt and Pepper. I mean, they just played together so well. Thinking across, you had Andrew Bean, who was coffee with character, just a fun character to listen to. And then oh, we'll go without Dougie O'Neill. Yes. Dougie was, I think, what held Newport Rugby together for a long time. I mean, he was big enough and strong enough to hold a scrum together. Yeah, and he, which he did up into his 50s. Absolutely. And uh, that's, a, that's an amazing situation. And then, and then you think back at Jimmy Cranston, who, was, who basically had leadership capacity, capabilities, I mean, I should say. And, uh, and then, let's face it, right back to you, Andrew. Yeah. I mean, you were, you, you were the one who made, stirred the pot. And what was great about it, and what, what is, you were essentially a hooker. That's your, that was your position. But you helped us more at nine than anybody in the team could have even hoped for because of your ability to, to, uh, to get things going, ability to put people in the right spot at the right time. So that uh, that mixture of people was, was, was a lot of fun. The chemistry really worked. It, it really did. One of the things I noticed also at Newport was we were, uh, the structural, structural parts of our game were, were okay. Not great, okay. When I say structural, I'm talking about scrums and lineouts. Scrums were okay, we could compete, and we did fine. Lineouts were a disaster. One, because of the throwing. Two, because of the people that we had of the lifting. We couldn't lift my good head. <laughs> and he couldn't jump up three, three inches off the ground. And, you know, he was a 300-pound guy. And he just couldn't get him up there. So, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I changed the game to, instead of kicking for touch like everybody in the world is doing and looking for lineouts, uh, we just have to go, played the running game. And that that fit our team so well that it, it, it just it didn't make any sense for us to try to do something we weren't very good at. And you were always on the cutting edge of what was happening globally. And to me, you took some of that from whether it be Super Rugby, from New Zealand, from those running teams that adapted to our game so well. Yeah, well, I, that's what I tried to be. Tried to keep abreast of what was going on. It's so much easier today than it was at that point uh, because there were no computers at that point. Was In no, terms of access to rugby? Right. Yes. Right. 
and uh, the only access I had was subscriptions that I had paid for and uh, received from all over the world, from Europe and from the Southern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. And I used to get some uh, videos shipped up from New Zealand. And so uh, it was what it was, and we did the best we could with what we had. Today, everything is so accessible. Today, I'm watching five, six, seven rugby games a weekend. (laughs) It's pretty good. Yeah. We like that. And you mentioned a few names from that era. The the second era when you were coaching, when you came back to coach, some of the names like uh, Jesse McRae and Mark Simpson Daniels, uh, a compliment to you, they came in, they were incredibly good and you gave them part of the role of coaching as well, which I oh, think is so. a great character and quality of a coach. It's not ego driven, which a lot of coaches typically are. You understood that there was value they could offer. Can you talk through your approach to, to Mark yeah. and to Jesse? Yeah, I, well, I, I was involved with heavily with bringing Mark over. So I got to know him quite well through the correspondence that we had. And I also knew the, uh, that, that his brother was a, one of the top players in England. And I'd seen him play, obviously, when England played. So I knew we were getting a quality guy. I didn't realize how much quality he had and what kind of a character he he, he had, and which was, we were lucky in, respect, in both guys. I wasn't so involved with bringing Jesse over. They came at the same time, and the two of them were, turned out to be, first of all, wonderful human beings, and second of all, terrific rugby players. And it, I always felt that it was, everybody had been used to me saying and doing things. So it was kind of important that somebody else had a voice. Somebody else had a voice who also had the background that I was strong enough to take what they were saying seriously. So I Yeah, I was very happy to let them uh, be part of the development of the club. Yeah, excellent. And then you talked about some of the characters on the field, off the field, walking down the sidelines. What do you recall? There's a long list. (laughs) Long list, that's right. Uh, When I came here, I mean, I I didn't realize the number of characters that were involved. I mean, going back from the old boys right through the the younger ones, and some of the others, I don't know what I should be saying. <laughs> so it's all for it, yeah. It's all good. Go for it. Uh, no, it just I mean, we just had some great times. Some of the trips we took, some of the uh, parties that were had. Jesus, how we can't go without a conversation about that trip we took to Florida. Yeah, absolutely. That, <laughs> okay. that was uh, Fort Lauderdale, yes. the, a tournament. Yes. And that was definitely a case of the rugby got it in the way of the tour. Yes. Uh, well, I'm not, yes, unfortunately. I think that's correct. Uh, we didn't do as well as we should have because of the tour. And uh, see, that's that was one of the things that started my uh, irritation a little bit with the club near the end because I always when whenever I compete whenever I've competed even when I was young I always tried to win and my philosophy was if I don't want to be win why do I want to do this and that's my personality my philosophy now, I know that's not everybody's I understand that I've come to understand it better as I've gotten older, but I didn't understand it as well when I was younger. When people let some of the things get in the way of competition, it was irritating to me personally. But as it turned out, the the tour itself was, geez, some of those stories. That uh, another trip tour that we took was the one to New York for the seventh tournament. For the seventh tournament, that was uh, that was another great that was a great fun. It's a great perspective because for Newport, I think to a degree, proudly, we would say that we didn't fulfil our potential because we we're balancing having a great time right. and winning, and it's hard to do both. Yes, uh, and, and that was just just our approach, and we knew that you know the guys up in Worcester, they would train all summer and be ready, and that first game was like a Super Bowl, but they had nothing to do. No. for us. 
we're down at Christie's drinking mudslides, having a great time. And then when it comes to rugby, okay, now let's get serious. And that's correct. I mean, we never got serious until into September. Mm -hmm. And uh, much as I tried, (laughs) it never worked. No. And that's that's, how you sort of accept that. Yeah, but I can, I totally appreciate that the frustration as a coach that that you're, you're pouring hours and hours. And that's what you did for a lot of guys, not for all the guys. If they showed up for practice, it was Tuesday and Thursday for an hour and a half. And then game day, it was, you know, an hour and a half, you know, warming up, playing, and then you're done. For you, to me, you took this as a a full-time job or at least a part-time job where you were going home, you were analyzing, strategizing, correct? That's correct. Yeah. I I wouldn't call it a job. It's something I really enjoy. So, uh, I mean, I never got paid for it until about a few years ago. And I never really expected to be. In fact, I turned down money in Newport when they wanted to pay me. Tell me about that. Well, they offered, it was just a question of the the executive committee offered me some money. Uh, It wasn't as an incentive or anything. It was just, they thought that maybe it should deserve some money. Acknowledgement of the work you're doing. And 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 I really wasn't interested in that. I'd never been paid before and didn't feel that I wanted to do that. that. Obviously, you get paid money, usually for a job well done. You, to me, received other things. What was it that Newport Rugby gave back to you? Oh, just watching it, the success of the team and watching them compete and win. That was my thrill. And just, I mean, watching players develop, seeing how better they become, how the team comes together. The greatest feeling for me was when we went out and beat a a team equal or better than us. And that was was really, uh, really what drove me doing all that stuff. And you were always an excellent nurturer of talent as well. You would see someone come to the club or see someone at the club already and you'd identify their ability and you would work with them and give them the opportunity to grow into a better rugby player. Well, that's right. And that's what we tried to do is when you, when you saw, saw an athlete, I've seen a number of athletes that couldn't do it, which is the amazing thing here. Really wonderful athletes. Just, they, couldn't be, they couldn't play the game because it just couldn't, wouldn't fit into their mental uh, thoughts of athletics. But when you had others, you just try to fit them into a role where their athletic ability would flourish. That was, that's what I tried to do. You did that. You didn't try. You, you did that. So thank you for, for all, all of your support and the way you, are, you embraced us because we're not an easy bunch for a lot of people and it's more about people coming into the club that they have to accommodate to us if you don't then it's not going to last very long yeah and that's i think that that was a was a, that was a blessing and a curse all at the same time. The blessing was they had this group of athletes that just wanted to win and compete. The curse was if a new person came in, it's hard to get into that group of athletes. Yeah, it's hard to stay in the club. You you had to earn. You were not given anything. Anything. That's right. And you mentioned uh, earlier the fighting within <laughs> the club. One memory I have is what I believe would be the first time you came to a young boy old boy game <laughs> with your family. Can yes. you tell me your your memories of that where you decided or offered up that you'd be the referee of the game because it's hey what a fun day with your family our families on the uh harbour side fort adams field <laughs> no I, I thought it was just going to be a, a regular fun rugby game everybody knows each other everybody plays against each other they're all friends everybody goes out together on saturday nights and i think it's just going to be another game maybe a little huffs and puffs good god it turned into a brawl and it, it and it was and it continued it wasn't like we either have this uh you know, huff and puff, and then it was gone. It was after every scrum, every tackle, every lineup. There was something going on, and it just got to the point where it wasn't fun for me. So that's when I decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore. I think either at halftime or just during the game, you threw your hands up and said, "I'm done." The, the trainer family picnic ended very quickly. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, any um, key offenders that you recall? 
Oh, I'm looking at one. <laughs> I can tell you the two that the two that, uh, that, that were the most with you and Billy uh, Billy uh, Hinchy Billy Hinchy. You two were chipper jabber and bitching and back. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that was that was the most obvious because you stand beside by side all mm-hmm. came off. But uh, I'm sure Jimmy Cranston oh, was Jimmy in there somewhere. Just goes off saying. <laughs> I mean, he was always rolling around on the floor, grabbing this and grabbing it. I no, I didn't commit a penalty. I said, Jimmy, you got to be on your feet. No, no, I can just pull the ball. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Newport Rugby. And any key players that that you would like to identify of having some of that the skill, like you talked about Mark. Um, I talked about Jesse. Any other standouts that that you can oh, recall? Jeez, I wouldn't know where to start. Oh, Fred Lorem. Fred is a, was a great player. He is, again, a wonderful athlete. Fred, I think, you know, there was a, um, there was a flanker that he was a teacher over in Exeter, I think. Dan Potts. Dan Potts was another player that, uh, who, who came in and really played well. He, he was, he was a good player. Uh, Chris Godet. How could a team, you know, how could it, we go through it without speaking about Chris Godet? Chris, now there's an example of a guy who got improved dramatic, dramatically over the years. And Mike Melchioni, another mm-hmm. one, improved. Mike actually got better after he left. When he was here, yeah, and you were part of a group: Mark, Manchester, Chris Gray, and Melch. Yeah, they all, all went up when, to Boston when I when I uh, yeah. resigned. Uh, they went up there, and they they that's see that, that's something that we should talk about also. Rick. I want to change the subject a little bit, but that's something seeing those guys go up there to Boston and succeed when they got into the Super League and they're traveling all across the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, people in Newport shouldn't be angry at them; they should be proud of them that that they left and they, if they'd left and failed, then you can be angry. But they went up there and they left and they succeeded so that was just a testament to Newport rugby that they that their players developed and succeeded at a higher level so that's something everybody should be proud of I know it was hot at the time because we don't have the, we don't have the structure in the background of European or southern hemisphere clubs where where you develop players to go beyond your club play at county level like uh, state level and at uh, territorial level and then national level that, that doesn't happen here I can fully agree that there are a lot of people who don't fully understand the commitment and the effort that it took those three uh, driving up to Boston for games, for practices, and then to go toe to toe with some of the best in the country to get into the team and then compete right. on that level as well. So I, yeah, I was I was actually quite proud of them. Felt that, as I say, Mike Melch. I mean, he just improved much more than he, than he did while he was a player here. He just got so much better. Agreed. Uh, when you were coaching Newport and you were approaching a big game like a, a New Haven or a Worcester or a Burlington in the, that first era, how would you approach the game? We tried to understand how the opposition played. And it, like uh, Burlington, you, you knew they were going to be big and they're going to be Burlington and going to try to play a tight game. So we tried to face them, tried to move the ball around, so trying to uh, uh, keep them spread out. Because uh, if we got into a tight area, they were difficult to handle. Uh, and it, it, when he played Connecticut Yankees, like you knew they were going to try and throw the ball around a little bit. So that was fine with us because the more they threw it around, the better, the more open the game became. And our skills just fit the open game uh, so much better. So it just sort of looked. We didn't, like, we didn't have video like we do today of games where you could strategize on lineouts and strategize off on, off on set pieces. Uh, but you, you sort of knew how the, the teams played and went into it or actually trained that during the week towards those uh, abilities. And that's pretty much where we looked at. And it worked. And it really helped us to have that third party on, on the sidelines looking after us because for a long time, it was basically a captain-coach scenario, yeah. which, which works to a point. But definitely the... Um, the, the benefits of having someone such as yourself that steps away from the game and analyzes, thinks, and then strategizes on how how best to approach it. So to me, while rugby's a game of 15, it's 
definitely 16 that makes it work. And it's a, it's a key cog and you're an incredibly important cog for us to uh, get us to that next level. What were some of the key um, highlights in terms of successes? You talked about player success. Any other defining moments as a team? You know, obviously winning tournaments and games. Anything that jumps to your mind from that perspective? Yeah, there's, there's two plays in, in, in all that time that I'll never forget. And they were just, it just came completely out of, out of what you, the ordinary, completely out of what you expected to happen. The first one I'll mention this was we played a playoff game against a team from New Jersey. It was in November and there was a howling wind that just came from the north to the south, right down the pitch. And it was just impossible. You play with one end and playing into it was, you just couldn't go anywhere. That worked for us because we didn't kick the ball a lot anyways, but uh, it was it was difficult. And we scored a try and I remember we were kicking the, kicking the point and Mark was, Mark Manchester was the kicker at the time and there was just no chance of him ever kicking that from the sideline to the post because the wind just blew it right away. So I, I went up to him and I said, Mark, I said, kick the ball right away across the field get it into the middle of the wind, which he did and it went wind. and sailed right through the Fantastic. <laughs> Go Marky Mark. Yeah. Uh, I remember, that was one of the things I remember because it was just so, ne- never should have happened. And the other one was when we played the Wolf up in Framingham and it was a wonderful game. It was right to the end. I think we were behind by a point or something. And on the last play of the game, we had this mall going on their line and the mall is moving and I'm watching, I'm watching and it goes down and as it goes down, this right arm comes out and touches the mall down and we won the game. Andrew that may be me, yes. Yes, yeah. it, was, it was you. Mike, thank you so much for everything you've done with Newport Rugby and continue to do for Newport Rugby. The legacy you've left on the club in terms of the structure and how to approach, I know that's lasted a lot of, for a lot of people both on and off the field. And I do and we do appreciate all the work that you did off the field in terms of the analysis and the strategy. I recall going out for lunch with you and you'd be moving salt and pepper shakers like players here and like, what about we do this? And you were always thinking. And so that helped us be a better club that helped us be better players and so for all you've done thank you so much for being part of Newport Rugby and being part of the Quiet Hour podcast mm, thank you thank you very much okay. Andrew. thanks Appreciate Mike that. Uh, one last thing I'd like to say with with Newport being such a small town the old boys of this, this club have a wonderful tradition and they, they as being part of that group also I just think looking at the club the way it's developed and the way it's grown and it had its ups and its downs as it's fun for me I enjoy it a lot and I want to thank you everybody, players who are now old boys and uh, the old boys who were older back then, everybody for allowing me to be part of it. It was just my pleasure. Well said, Mike. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Newport Rugby Quiet Hour podcast and there's more to come as we continue to capture Newport Rugby's 40-year history and the characters and the stories that define our club. To hear future episodes, please download and subscribe to Newport Rugby Quiet Hour at Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. Until next time, cheers to Newport Rugby. You've been listening to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour podcast. For more information on Newport Rugby, visit newportrugby.com.